Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Ann Roby, an HR advisor and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. And I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. So, Anne, we have had a couple of guests on talking about the Enneagram. We had Susan Alessic about a year ago, and then our last guest, Dr. Deborah Edgerton, talked about the Enneagram, but they really talked about it in the context of their work, right? Susan, as founder of the Enneagram Prison Project, Deborah, in context of her anti-racism work that she does with the Enneagram, but... You know, we've been kicking it around that it's probably time for us to go a little bit deeper with the Enneagram. Well, especially since I think both you and I are a little culty about the Enneagram and a little bit deep, deep advocates of it at this point. You mean because I run around saying things like, oh my God, the Enneagram is like magic. (laughs) Exactly. For that reason. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So you actually started getting interested in and working with the Enneagram before I did. And I don't think I actually know how you first encountered the Enneagram. Well, you do know that I'm a little bit of an assessment junkie. I do know that. (laughs) So I've been certified in Myers-Briggs and DISC. I've done a ton of work around StrengthsFinder. I'm probably forgetting some. I love just that kind of getting into the human psyche, both my own and, and understanding other people in a deeper way. And I distinctly remember sitting in an airport on a business trip about, I don't know, eight, 10 years ago or something. And this guy saying to me, oh, I bet you're an Enneagram eight. (laughs) I don't remember because that didn't mean anything to me at the time, but just given my personality, it wouldn't be surprising. And we'll get into what that means in a few minutes. But, and I just thought, wait, what, what, what is this thing of which you speak this Enneagram thing? And I just got really, really interested and indeed When I took the assessment the first time, I typed as what's called an Enneagram 8. And then I think in my coaching program, the second coaching program I did, they also brought Enneagram into that. And man, I tried really hard to be an Enneagram 7. Tried really hard (laughs) to be a 7, which is not possible to just wish it into being, but I was trying. And that really sort of sparked this deep, deep interest for me. So I pursued it some more through the coaching program, and then I took a couple of other classes. I found this great assessment that you and I both use now, the Integrative Nine out of Cape Town, South Africa. But I think mostly the reason why this one has stuck, and not that the others haven't, I do still like Myers-Briggs and DISC. I don't use them that much anymore, to be honest, just because I think Enneagram goes so much deeper than any other tool that I've used. And it is one of the tools that people have such a strong reaction when they sort of hone in to what their type is. It unlocks something for them. And like you said, it's a little bit of magic. It's interesting. I personally love doing lots of assessments. So I could probably say I'm a bit of an assessment junkie as well. And that's on a personal level. Mm. I've never actually used an assessment in my coaching work. If one of my clients has Myers-Briggs or DISC or a number of them, I'm proficient at bringing it into the coaching and working with it. But I have never used assessments because I'd never found anything that I thought was actually applicable to anybody. Yeah. 
you know? And so when you started getting so into the Enneagram, Mm -hmm. it piqued my interest and it started out in that space of, I really want to learn more about the Enneagram when I have more time. Yeah. Right. And then you were working with the integrative nine, you were doing it. And I'm sure you'll talk a little bit more about this with everybody at your last job. And so I asked you if I could take it and you were like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. That'd be super fun. And it just like blew my socks off. And when I think about that, I think your reaction to my Enneagram type is such a good example of why it's nuanced and why you can't just watch somebody else's behavior and say, oh, that's what they are. Because I too came back as a type eight and you were so sure I was going to be a type one. Yep. And again, we'll talk more about what what that all means. But yeah, it's it's just a really magical set of information that lays out this amazing path for better understanding yourself and transformation. I think one of the the greatest things about Enneagram is it really holds a mirror up and lets you see yourself. And I remember one of the first times I did it at my previous company, I I shared the report with the person that was taking the assessment and he came back to me later and his English is perfectly fine. He's, he was from another country, but his English was perfectly fine. But I thought we were having a language barrier because he kept saying, and did you have somebody watching me? And I, I just couldn't understand what he was talking about. And finally we came to understand that he thought it was so right on and it was so descriptive of who he is and his inner thoughts and the ways that he operates that he honestly thought there was somebody walking around observing him. And that's how on point it was for him. So for our listeners who might not be familiar with the Enneagram, and it's gotten really popular. I very rarely meet anybody now who hasn't at least heard of it, even if they don't know exactly what it is. As a single person, I will tell you, it's on the dating sites. Often the Enneagram type is listed right there, which is really funny. Oh, that's so interesting. (laughs) But since you have been working with it for so long, how would you describe it at a pretty high level? Like, what is it? Yeah, I think that Enneagram is a system that points out the often unconscious ways that we all sort of operate. And it points to our deep motivations. It gets really to the why of the reasons that we do things as opposed to what we actually do. And it's why what you said at the beginning is so important that it's really hard to determine somebody else's type. Even somebody, I like. I feel like I know you pretty well. Even somebody you know really well, it's hard to really know their type without a lot of tools and assistance. And again, we have this great tool called the Integrative Nine, but there's lots of books, lots of websites, lots of stuff to, to help you. But without that, it's really hard to understand somebody's type because it's so focused on motivation. And what I love about this as a tool is that it really shows us the ways that we operate that have been ingrained for so long and at some point really, really served us well. When we really started forming these ways that we operate and the way that we kind of approach the world, it made all the sense in the world at a certain point. And the problem is that then it becomes unconscious and it becomes the way we do things unconsciously. And some of those things don't serve us as much anymore. You know, often sometimes when when people do any kind of assessment, 
they feel like it's putting them in some sort of box. And I do get that reaction from people that take it sometimes. And what I try to point out is that what Enneagram is actually doing is it's not putting you in the box. It's pointing out the box that you already exist in. Yeah, I love that way of describing it. And I'll tell you, every single one of my clients now, because I'm accredited in the same assessment as you are, has wanted to do the Integrative Nine assessment. And every single one of them, some of these are clients I've been working with for quite a long time, have just had these amazing, oh my God, that explains so much. This is a group of people that are operating at a pretty good level of self-awareness, right? But again, as, as you say, these are unconscious patterns. And while most of us are pretty familiar with our behavior, it is so interesting when you start to look at what is that core internal motivation, which if asked, you probably couldn't name, but as soon as you see it, you're like, Oh my God, of course. Well, sometimes there's a, what I call the barf factor because like sometimes you see it and you're like, I wish so much that wasn't true. And yet, exactly as you're saying, it is also like, yep, and there's the truth in it. And yep, I recognize myself in it for sure. We talked a bit now at a fairly high level what it is, how people react, how we reacted. Let's start talking about what each of these types are. There's nine different types, and they are grouped by three centers of intelligence. One is the body center, so just very gut-oriented. One is the heart center, just what it sounds like. One is the head center. And there's three types in each one. And what's really interesting about these centers is that each one speaks to an underlying need that each of the types in that center are trying to get met. It's a need that was very much of a core driver as a wee little child. And that's true regardless of whether one had a super loving, high-functioning family, whether one was in a super toxic environment or everything in between, which in my experience is most families, but <laughs> uh, right? Just we all have a need we're trying to get met. Yep, that's exactly right, Sherry. And before we get too much further, I want to just give a couple caveats here. We're going to kind of fly through the entire Enneagram symbol we're going to do it pretty quickly. Uh, you and I did a little prep and we have a couple of notes and we're going to do something a teeny bit risky. We're going to share some kind of famous people and or movie characters within each type. Now, here's the caveat. We just spent a few minutes telling everybody that since it's motivation and not behavior, we can't know for sure what somebody else's type is. Only they really get to decide that. That being said, We've chosen to go down this path and in this way as sort of a shorthand. So as we're describing a type one or describing a type two, and we can give some famous people or some movie characters, the only reason we're doing that is to paint a little bit of a picture for our listeners of what each type is or kind of represents. So I'm just going to encourage anybody that's listening, take it lightly you might hear us reference somebody like Queen Elizabeth. Nope, I don't know her type for sure, for sure. But given what we see and the way that she acts and, the, and what we know about her, some people smarter than us, or maybe not, on the internet have made some guesses <laughs> as to what some various types are. And, and same thing with movie characters. So we're doing it completely for illustrative purposes and hoping that it helps, but just encouraging you as a listener to 
really think about it lightly. So we're actually going to start in the body or gut center. So Sherry, tell us a little bit about that kind of core need for somebody in the body or gut center. Yeah. So the three Enneagram types that sit in the body center are type eight, type nine, and type one. And so we're going to be going through these in a way that's going to sound like, why aren't you doing it chronologically? But that's why we're doing it by these groupings. And so for those three types, they are seeking autonomy. And even though they share that desire, that need that they are looking to get met, they all go about it in ways that are a little bit different from each other. But at the core, this is this is what they have in common. Yeah, or even a lot different in some cases, right? So let me just dive right in and uh, we're going to start with type 8, which luckily both you and I know quite a bit about. So type 8 is referred to, with each one of these types, when we go through them, we're going to share a couple of different names for each type. And since no one person owns the Enneagram, there's lots of opinions on what each type is called and what they all mean. So some of the, the titles for type 8 are active controller, protector, or challenger. Type 8s are motivated by the need for control. And they can appear quite tough, even though sometimes that's hiding quite a soft center. They hide it super, super well. And eights have a very strong sense of justice. They are not afraid to, I should say, we are not afraid (laughs) to flex their power muscle to protect those that they care for. Here's the deal with eights is there's sort of a lustful quality to eights. And by that, I mean, they're often sort of focused on doing or acquiring things almost to excess. In some households, eights had to grow up a little too quickly. I know it's not in my house that I was forced to grow up too quickly, but I know it was really rewarded. You know, I distinctly remember friends and my parents saying, oh, she's just like a little adult. That's just so great. And that being a good thing that got imprinted in me. And thus I took on the mantle, took on those qualities of being sort of an adult, maybe a little too early. And so one of the the ways that eights can actually seek to get out of this box that I talked about earlier, get out of that sort of the constraints that hold them, the unconscious ways of doing things, is by really seeking to reclaim their innocence. What I love about my fellow eights, and and frankly, it's one of the, when somebody asks me, what are you really good at? And I'm like, I kind of, I'm pretty good at telling it like it is. And that is indeed the superpower of the eight, being a truth teller. And as I said, we're going to share a couple of famous people. And the thing with eights is I had to really do some digging because there's some villains You know, villains are often portrayed as a strong, needing control, wanting power type of folks. And it's a very one-sided view of eights. One of the things we're not going to get a lot into today is sort of like higher functioning and lower functioning. What I tried to do when searching for either famous people or TV characters was to look for folks that I consider a little bit more in the middle. And not necessarily like the super duper version or and nor kind of the, the lowest version. So when I think of some famous eights, I think of Martin Luther King Jr., right? And how he really sought to protect. He was about justice. He really wanted to right some wrongs. He wasn't afraid to challenge authority. 
Uh, in fact, it landed him in jail multiple times because of, of his fearlessness when it came to doing what was right. Barbara Walters is a famous eight. Mark Cuban is a famous eight. So when you think of Mark Cuban on Shark Tank, you know, he does not like it when people challenge him. He is definitely in control of his empire. He's definitely an authority in that room. And even some of his, I don't know all the other people's names that are on that TV show, but clearly some of them get under his skin and he's not afraid to let them know. And that is very classic eight. When I tried to think of a movie or TV character, I thought of Olivia Pope from that TV show Scandal. It's not on anymore, but I mean, even the way Olivia Pope, for those of you that have watched it, would walk down the hall and she walked with such purpose that is very clearly eight-ish to me. There's a physicality to eights that you can often see. And while she had her ups and downs in terms of ethics or morals at times, she definitely considered herself the white hats, right? The good guys. And I think that's very classic, you know, sort of focused on justice from an, from an eight perspective. Yeah. You know, I think because we are both eights, it's also a great opportunity to make the point that we are all still very nuanced. And so even though you and I share that same core motivation, we move through the world in some very different ways. That's right. Right? And it's also very clear, like we can see it in each other, right? And we can recognize it in each other. But it is, it's a really good example of not every eight looks like every other eight. That's right. And one of the things we're not going to get a chance to talk about today is there's so many more subtleties to the Enneagram and there's other factors like subtypes and many other things that I'm not even going to mention right now because I don't want to confuse things. What we want to do with the next few minutes is really just give you a little taste and a little intro to each one of the main types and just know exactly like what Sherry just said, there's no way nine types describe a hundred percent of the world. It just isn't possible. You know, if you really get into Enneagram, it's 27, or if you count a different way, it's 108 or, you know, exponentially. But even that, what Enneagram does is it does its best to describe what is going on from an internal, almost dialogue perspective, from those things that motivate us in certain and specific ways, but it might manifest in a million different ways. Exactly. So Sherry, why don't you tell us about nines a little bit? Because I know you know a nine really, really well. I do know a nine really, really well. I'm married to one. So yes, this would be my second most well-known type to me. That was terrible, terrible grammar. So some of the names to describe type nine is adaptive peacemaker, moderator, mediator. Type nines are motivated by a desire to feel settled and for their world to feel and to be balanced and harmonious. They come across as easygoing and accommodating, a little bit of the like, I don't care, whatever you want is fine, but they don't actually want to be controlled. So it can be a little deceptive because nines don't want to upset the balance. They have a strategy of disconnecting from their own needs and their own wants because no needs, no wants no conflict. And so there's a way that Anne and I talk about the Enneagram that comes from some work we've done with the Enneagram Prison Project is this idea of freeing ourselves from these prisons of our own making. And so for type nines, their path to freedom is to connect to their own thoughts and wants and needs and then to then act on them. In terms of their superpower, uh, and I love this idea that every 
type has a superpower, it's diplomacy, it's unconditional love. And what I will say is I met Warren when we worked together Mm. and people would walk on hot coals for him. And something we used to always say in his division, we didn't use the word harmonious, but we used to call it the no drama division. I love that. (laughs) When do you ever hear that? (laughs) Right. When do you ever hear that? But it's a perfect description of a division being run by a type nine who is very driven by balance and harmony and really a desire to hear what everybody has to say. And so when I look back after I asked Warren to take the integrative nine to humor me because I was super (laughs) curious, right? And I read his report and I was just like, oh my God, this explains so much about the kind of leader he was. So some more famous nines than my husband, Barack Obama, and I think you see that in his desire to bring everybody together. Yeah. In fact, he used to get a little bit of um, flack from the other side, should we say, about just make a decision already, right? Exactly. Right. As you said earlier, and Queen Elizabeth is a type nine, Abraham Lincoln, and a character that is so near and dear to my heart, Winnie the Pooh, because <laughs> I think all the wisdom of the world lives in the Winnie the Pooh stories. <laughs> I love that. So, Anne, tell us about type ones, the type you originally thought I was. <laughs> Well, I just don't know why, since the names are strict perfectionist, assessor, reformer. I'm hoping, gentle listeners, that you also see why I might have been mistaken in thinking Sherry might have been a one. Ones are really motivated to do the right thing. And in their minds, there is a right thing. It's not like, "Mm, it could be this or it could be that. It's like, nope, there is a right and a wrong way to do it. There's right, wrong, good, bad, yes, no, black, white. 80% is not good enough. You know, I mean, you think back to eights, often eights are just really about action and moving things forward. And sometimes 80% is going to be good enough for an eight, not for one. Ones really want to ensure that it's done right. Because they're constantly seeking to improve the world around them and nothing quite seems like what it really should be, their path to freedom is around serenity and really accepting what is. And I'll tell you that this is a tough one for ones. As a matter of fact, this path to freedom that we're talking about is a tough one for each one of the types in their own unique ways. But I just think of some of my friends that are type one and and how much upset there is constantly because they just think if you just did it a little bit better, wow, we would actually be getting where we wanted to be as opposed to somewhere in the middle, right? And there's this this desire for it to be 100% all of the time. Uh, Their superpower is really around alignment and getting people sort of lined up behind the beliefs, actions, and speaking truth, and that there is sort of an ideal, if you will. Some famous ones that we thought about, uh, Michelle Obama, Martha Stewart. I mean, really, if you think about Martha Stewart and just how exacting she is about, you know, fork placement or piping on a cake or whatever, there's an exacting nature to the way that she operates. Nelson Mandela as well, right? I mean, if you think about somebody that just 80% was never going to be good enough and that he really pushed for things to be equal and fair and just, and he was willing to put himself on the line in order to do that. One of my favorites from Disney, from back when I was a little kid, that is a sort of a famous type one is Mary Poppins, right? So if you think about, again, exacting ways to do things in a 
focus on doing things well and doing things right. So Sherry, now we're going to switch to the Heart Center. Can you tell us a little bit about the Heart Center? Yeah. So the Heart Center contains type 2, type 3, and type 4. And for those three types, it's all about seeking connection. Mm. And let me just say, we all have these centers, right? I just want to clarify that really quick. We're all seeking autonomy in some way. We're all seeking connection in some way, right? We're all seeking safety and security in some way. But for each group, that is really the dominant need that we are seeking to get met. So when you think of people in the heart center, it really is very much about relationships and being seen and seeking connection. And so I'll start with type two. Some of the names for type twos, considerate helper, giver, caretaker. And for type twos, they are motivated by a need to be liked and appreciated. The twos are the people who are always there to help, right? They're the ones that if they see you need something, they are going to get on it. They are going to take care of it. And they thrive on being needed. They can come across as happy to help. I want to make things easier for other people. And it is usually genuine, but there can also be a little bit of a give-to-get quality to the helpfulness. And my type 2 clients, they like rail at that. They're like, I am not manipulative like that. A hundred percent of the time. Yep. Right? And it's not a conscious manipulation at all, but it's driven by this unconscious thought of, if I help, then you'll like me. Yes. And so that's the give-to-get quality. It doesn't take anything away from their genuine helpfulness because type twos feel a kind of pride in being needed, right? Like people need me. Their path to freedom is humility. This recognition that I don't actually have to be superhuman to have value. Mm. At the same time, their superpower is knowing what other people need or want. And that is a superpower, that ability to just pick up on that. For sure. So some famous twos, Dolly Parton, Desmond Tutu, Jimmy Carter, and Fred Rogers. And when I think about Fred Rogers, what did he always say? Find the helpers. Yeah. You know, which is kind of find the twos. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) So let's switch to type threes. So some of the names for type threes are competitive achiever, performer, initiator. So threes are really interesting. And just like all of the types... When we get into some of the nuances, they can actually look quite different. But at a high level, when we think about the core motivation for threes is to really outshine the rest. Now, again, just like you just said with twos, that there can sometimes be a reaction to that by threes. Like, well, I'm not really competing against other people. Sometimes I'm competing against myself, right? And this outshine the rest can manifest and look different in different people because they are often focused on their image and the appearance of doing well, their path to freedom is actually hope, which is just so beautiful. Hope meaning that all is well and they don't have to do or conquer anything. So threes are often the ones with the to-do lists and the, if I did it to 70% last time, I need to do it to 80% the time after, to 90 the time after that. And this being able to rest in hope that all will be well, even without the force of them getting it done, is really what will help threes to unlock their path to freedom. 
The thing that threes are really particularly good at is picking up on what is valued. So they understand, it's almost like they can feel it. They walk into a room and they can sense what somebody will place value on. So some famous threes, Will Smith, Tony Robbins, Oprah Winfrey. I mean, if you think really about Oprah and I love the work that Oprah has done in the world. I think that, you know, she has done and created so many things that are just amazing. But, you know, somebody said to me once, it doesn't matter how good you are. It matters who knows how good you are. And that's kind of a three sentiment, right? So I will never forget when Oprah set up her girls school in somewhere in Africa, forgetting exactly where. And one of the little teeny tiny things that I remember is she had O's for Oprah stamped on all of the sheets that the girls slept on. I'm not taking it away from this amazing work that Oprah did, but that is a very classic example of a three. Like it doesn't matter how good you are. It matters who knows how good you are, right? A TV character that I thought of was Don Draper. And Don's probably at least through the majority of the show, kind of a lower functioning three in some ways. But image was incredibly important to him. One of the things we haven't really talked about is some of the more shadow sides to any of these, but I'll talk about it with three a little bit. And that is, is deception can sometimes be an issue for threes in service of looking good. And if you think about how those of you that know the story from the show Mad Men, how deceptive he was for the majority of his for the, at least for the majority of the, the TV show, it is a classic three wanting to look good and wanting to make sure that he's accepted. Let's switch to four. What can you tell us about four, Sherry? So fours, I have a very soft spot for fours. My nephew is a four and I have some other fours in my life and just really have a soft spot for them. Some of the names for fours are intense, creative, individualist, romantic, And fours are really interesting because they are motivated by being unique and authentic. Mm. Like not unique and authentic the way most of us would think about it, but like I have to be special, right? Like I am different. Like I am really different. They have a very keen sense of their own inadequacies or what's missing. Mm. And one of the characteristics of type four is more than any other type, man, do they have access for the full range of their emotions. And they are really comfortable with intense feelings. Yes. Like really, really comfortable, which, and you could say this about many of the attributes of any of the types, it can be a two-edged sword, right? For fours, as they focus on their inadequacies, they can start to compare themselves to others and notice where they fall short leading to these feelings of envy. God, that grass is always greener on the other side. And so for type fours, their path to freedom is equanimity. This idea of seeing equal value in all feelings, in all people, in all experiences. So it's not that, oh, it's so much better over there. Yeah. Right? It's like it's all good. Type fours have just such a depth of empathy Like we have said about my nephew, literally he came out of the womb with more empathy than half the adults in the world have. I mean, it was just so present at birth. Some famous fours, Prince, 
Um, and Prince is a really good example when you think about all the ways in which he put himself forth as very different, right? There was nothing conforming about Prince, not in the range of his music or the way he dressed or the way he talked about things. So he's a really, really good example of a type four. And another Winnie the Pooh character, Eeyore, right? Just like so filled with emotion all the time. Eeyore felt all the feelings. So switching to the head center, and you want to tell us a little bit about what need is being sought for the types in the head center? Yeah. So head center encapsulates uh, types five, six, and seven. And these types are really looking for safety and security. And as we've said with the other types, they do it in three very different ways. So let me tell you a little bit about the five to start with. The five is known as either the quiet specialist, thinker, or observer. Five's really motivated by competence and wanting to deeply, deeply understand. They're collectors of information, they're strongly independent, and they tend to conserve their resources. Because they are self-sufficient and you know, I just said conserve their resources, but sometimes it could almost even be like hoarding things like time, energy, information. Their path to freedom is actually non-attachment, the knowing that what they need will be available when they need it. And the gift the type fives bring us is precise thinking. So when we think of some famous fives, we think of Jane Goodall, Bill Gates, Albert Einstein, Think of Sherlock Holmes when you think of a type five, right? So a type that was constantly collecting information, even, you know, if you've ever either read or seen any of the movies or anything, even when the rest of us think we're collecting information along the way, he's almost like a sponged information and he's able to collate that into something that is actually meaningful, usually in the last couple pages of a book. (laughs) Sherry, you want to tell us about type six? Yes. So type six, loyal skeptic, inquirer, questioner are some of the the names for the type six. They are motivated by the need to be safe and feel supported. And so even though for all three types in the head center that are really seeking safety and security, for type six, this is also a very, very specific motivation for them. They are loyal. They are prepared. They keep an antenna up for risks and for where things can go awry. I have a client who is a type six, and this makes her so good at her job because she is able to think three steps ahead to all the things that could go wrong and then make sure they don't. This is just this amazing, amazing skill that type sixes have. Because they see their world as a dangerous place, constantly scanning the environment for for what could go wrong, where are the risks, they can often believe that no one can be entirely trusted, like not even including their own judgment. And so they can be filled with a lot of doubt. And so for that reason, their path to freedom is faith. And that's faith in their own strength, faith in their own power, faith in their own ability to weather whatever comes their way. 
And the gift that type six bring, which is a really, really awesome gift, is they have a BS detector like nobody's <laughs> business. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so some famous sixes, Michael Moore, the filmmaker, Ellen DeGeneres, Bono, Aaron Brockovich as a movie character. And it's interesting when you think about Ellen DeGeneres, who's very funny. Like, there's a persona to her that is witty, and you'd think there would be a lightness with being a comedian, but it really comes through in some of her humor. This idea of mm, needing to be cautious, needing to, like, pay attention to what's going on around you. Yeah. You know what? Not a famous person, and I'm not going to name names, but you and I did yoga teacher training years ago, and we had somebody in our group that when we would sit in the yoga studio, if she heard a siren going by, she was certain one of her kids were in peril in some ways. You know, and she knew on an intellectual level, 99.999, however many nines percent, it had nothing to do with her children, but there was a part of her that was worrying about it. And I, I have deep sympathy for sixes because you know, to me, a lot of what they bring, their gift to us is worrying about the stuff so that the rest of us don't have to worry about it. Exactly. You want to bring us home, Anne, with type seven. Sure. So this is my wannabe type. Uh, this is the type I was trying really hard to pretend to be. Sevens are called the enthusiastic visionary, the epicure, or the connoisseur. They're motivated by a desire to experience everything, experience it all, because Really, they're trying to avoid boredom and they just love having fun and they move on very quickly from things, especially if there's any pain whatsoever. Sevens often believe if a little is good, then a lot must be great and they're often hungry for more. Because of this, their path to freedom is in moderation or sobriety, meaning whatever is right now is actually okay and there doesn't have to be more. Their superpower is really about experiencing many things at once. I mean, I know so many sevens that have so many balls up in the air and they just make it look super easy and seamless, like just no problem whatsoever. Some very famous sevens are Miley Cyrus, Robin Williams. I mean, talk about somebody who brought us all so much humor and, and he always was seeking more and looking for the next fun thing that he could do. I mean, sadly, his life ended quite tragically, but he was always kind of on that edge, if you will. Eddie Murphy as well, same thing, like another comedian. When I think of famous people, it's funny. I, I couldn't decide whether to talk about Ferris Bueller or Hawkeye Pierce. And they're quite different, and yet they have some really similar qualities. If you think about Ferris Bueller and just, you know, he decides to take the day off from school and just go have a, a grand time, and he joins the parade, and he steals his friend's father's car. and Like, he's just, right? It's just always something more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And and you think about Hawkeye. I mean, one of the things that I didn't talk about with Type 7 is that 7s don't really think that anybody should be managing them. They don't believe in that whoever is actually in charge is actually in charge. And man, did he really sort of embody that. So Sherry, God, I feel like we are just barely, barely scratching the surface here. I know that we went through all of that really quickly. So we're going to put some more information and resources in the show notes. There's lots of info out on the web. As I sort of hinted to earlier, some of it great, some of it eh, 
you know, grain of salt. Think about what you paid for it. We really want to encourage all of our listeners to, if you're, if this has piqued your interest at all, to go explore it a little bit. I know that either myself or Sherry would be happy to talk to anybody about it. There's lots of good information if this is interesting to you. You know, Anne, we were kicking around how to end this episode because it's quite different than most of the episodes we do where we're just having a conversation instead of actually sharing information on material. And we've realized that we always ask our guests what words of wisdom they would whisper to their younger self. And so we decided we would turn this to ourselves. Given what you now know about the Enneagram, what might you whisper to your younger self? Well, I sort of hinted at it earlier in that you know, I was really rewarded for kind of growing up and be acting like a little adult. And so I think I would whisper to myself to hold on to that childlike quality and to hold on to some of that innocence that I talked about and to hold on to some of that kind of not knowing, right? One of the things with eights is that we often kind of pretend like we know even when we don't know, right? And so holding on to some of that sweetness and curiosity, How about you, my fellow eight? What would you whisper to yourself? You know, I've been thinking about this because I knew this question was coming. And I have about five things I would whisper to myself, (laughs) right? But I think the one, if I was going to really, really boil it down, I would whisper to her and say, you know, you'll save yourself a whole lot of trouble if you really recognize you can't actually control the universe Mm. and all the humans in it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think I would really like to tell her, like, don't try so hard to control everything. Yeah. Hard to do. Mm. I wonder if we would have listened if somebody had whispered these things to ourselves. You know, it's such an interesting thing. What's actually going through my mind and why I almost started laughing after I was done saying that is I had this image of my younger self, like, whispering back, are you crazy? (laughs) (laughs) And there's the truth. (laughs) All right, my friends. Well, this has been a lot of fun to at least start to scratch the surface of this thing called Enneagram that we both love so much. And so to our listeners, that's going to wrap up our show for today. We really hope you enjoyed it and would love it if you would share our podcast with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes, or post it to your own social media. You can find all of the information about the show and previous episodes at flowingeastandwest.com. Please join us next time for Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. 